have you ever had a dream that you've gone to something important like a wedding or to church dressed in your pajamas or something like that or maybe even something worse <laughs> I once had a dream that I came to church and uh, I was down here preaching and I looked down I had no shoes on I had my pajamas on I don't know what a psychologist would tell us that means but it's an awful thing to be in the right place with the wrong clothes I want you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to Matthew 22 and verses 11 and onwards Matthew 22 where Jesus talks about going to a great banquet Matthew 22 and verse 11 and onwards and I'm glad to see you all here today Matthew 22 verse 11 this talks about a tremendous banquet tremendous crowd of people are there verse 11 but when the king came in to see the guests he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes friend he asked how did you get in here without wedding clothes man was speechless then the king told the attendants tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen this man was not ready for the judgment because this story that our blessed Lord tells us here is a story that is symbolic of the judgment so here is a man who comes to the judgment but the man is wearing the wrong clothes and the Bible tells us that he's cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth my topic today is the great judgment day the Bible makes it very very plain my dear friend that there is a judgment day there are many texts there are hundreds of texts that teach the truth the certainty of the judgment day and we all have a case at court I want you please to come over here to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 if you don't mind please in the Bible over here to the words of St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 I like this best in the King James Version Hebrews 9 verse 27 it says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment the NIV says just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment we should believe in the judgment because it's a logical necessity the fact that there is a personal creator God and we are made in the image of God implies a judgment day the fact that we were made personally by God the creator 
implies that we have an accountability to render to God. So the Bible says, it's appointed unto men once to die. And that is something none of us can escape except those who live to the coming of the Lord. It's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. I want you to know today the certainty of the judgment. Many years ago, a man went to bed, troubled about the state of affairs in the world, and he thought to himself, what is God going to do with this old world? He thought to himself, this indeed is a planet in rebellion. He thought of the soaring crime, violence, the anarchy in the world. He went to bed, a troubled man, and this man had a dream. And in the morning, when he got out of bed, he composed this poem. He wrote, I dreamed that the great judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. I dreamed that the nations had gathered to judgment before the great throne. From the throne came a bright shining angel and stood on the land and the sea and swore with his hand raised to heaven the time was no longer to be. The rich man was there, but his money had melted and vanished away. A pauper, he stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there, but his greatness when death came was left far behind. And the angel that opened his record, not a trace of his greatness could find. The moral man came to the judgment, but his self-righteous rags would not do. The men who had crucified Jesus, they passed off as moral men do. The soul that had put off salvation, not tonight I'll get saved by and by. No time now to think of religion. At last he had found time to die. And oh, what a weeping and wailing as the lost were told of their fate. They cried to the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. The Bible teaches it's appointed unto men once to die. Only once to die is it appointed. And after that, the judgment. The day is going to come Multitudes of people are going to go into the judgment and the king is going to come out and inspect the guests. The inspection of the guests is the investigation. Did you know that the judgment has at least two phases to its ministry? Firstly, there is the court case 
and you can read this as we shall in the Bible, this is the investigation of the person. And the second part of the judgment is the executive phase. When the sentence is carried out with speed and finality. So the Bible tells us that every person, good or bad, indifferent or earnest, must come into the judgment. And the king will come forth and inspect the guests to see if they are wearing the wedding garment. Many theologians have come to the conclusion that there is a pre-advent judgment. Those views I share. A pre-advent judgment means a judgment that actually takes place in heaven. We will not be there in person. But a judgment that takes place around the throne of Almighty God prior to the second coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he comes with his reward that has been allocated in the pre-advent judgment. I'm on safe and certain ground here because this is taught in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7. And I would like you please now to take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel chapter 7 that addresses the truth of the pre-advent judgment. Daniel 7 and verses 9 and onwards. This is the great chapter on the conflict between Christ and Antichrist. The theme of Daniel 7, my friend, is the great controversy. It is the story of the Antichrist as he fights the people of God. And Daniel chapter 7, we'll start at verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one. This is the Antichrist. Verse 9 says, As I looked, or the Hebrew says, as I continued to gaze, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Think of the picture. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is a judgment that takes place, my beloved friend, before the advent of the Lord. Notice verse 11 says, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. This judgment takes place while the Antichrist is on the earth. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. So this is a clear picture of a judgment that takes place before the second coming. This is not an executive judgment. It is the opening of the books. Would you read on a little further? 
Verse 25 says he will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. This talks about the dark ages when the Antichrist ruled. But then it says, verse 26, but the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. The people of the Most High, his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Listen very carefully. It is this pre-advent judgment that ushers in the kingdom of God. Before the kingdom of God becomes the kingdoms of Christ, before the kingdom of God comes down to this world, before the kingdom of God is consummated, there is a judgment that takes away authority and dominion from the Antichrist and gives it to the, to, uh, to the true Christ. And this is a judgment that takes place before Jesus returns. Did you know that there's a record of your life and mine? The Bible says the judgment was set, King James Version, the judgment was set, the NIV, the court was set, and the books were opened. Did you know that one day you say, this is something that is sort of a little unnerving. It's not unnerving for a person who's right with God. But did you know that there's a record of everything you and I have ever thought. Everything you and I have ever done, it is written down. Listen, the moving finger writes and having writ moves on. Nor all your piety nor Wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor will your tears wash out a word of it. Omar Kayam. The moving finger writes and having writ moves on, nor all your tears nor piety shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor all your tears wash out a word of it. We have in the Carter Report office Macintosh computers. Everybody has a Macintosh computer in my office except me. <laughs> and we have the new G4 Macintosh computers. We've had them for about a year. I'm just told that they're the most amazing thing that has almost ever been invented. They can't be exported because they are they're so advanced. Somebody told me that every second they can process a million, or is it a billion? I don't know. A million or a billion little bits 
of information. There is a vast system of record in heaven. The mind of God is the super, supercomputer. But the Bible says in the presence of the angels of God, the books are opened. And there is a record of every life that has ever lived. And the Bible tells us that every deed, every thought is recorded in the book. You say, but this, this is not gospel. This is not gospel. Well, just wait for a little while. But the gospel is not opposed to the doctrine of the judgment. Some people say, I could not believe in this, this doctrine of the judgment and be a believer in the gospel. Well, my friend, what you'll need to do is buy yourself a pair of sharp scissors and go through the Bible and snip out all those passages that talk about the books of record. Would you come over here to Revelation chapter 20, please? This is a significant passage for a person who is interested in the doctrine of judgment. Revelation, you see, there must be a judgment because God is the judge and God is righteous. And a righteous God demands justice. And that's, this is why there's going to be a judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and onwards. Revelation 20, verse 11. This is another phase of the judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. There you have it again. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Saved by grace, judged by works. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. So the Bible talks about books or records of some kind. Jesus said, did you know this? He said, by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Jesus said, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every idle word, Jesus said, every careless word, God has a perfect, infallible record of your life and my life. Every thought I've ever thought, what I'm thinking now is being written down in the books. Everything that I have ever thought or said Jesus said, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. He said, those things that are done in secret will be revealed on the housetops. 
So it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And the king came in to see the guests, and he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment, and he said, take this man and throw him into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, let me deal with something which is controversial to some people. Everybody is going into the judgment. I do not say in person, but everybody is going into the judgment. You say, but not a believer. A believer will not be in the last judgment. My friend, that is not so. The good, the bad, and the ugly will go into the judgment. The pre-advent judgment of Daniel chapter 7 deals not only with the Antichrist, but with the saints of God. I want you to notice a text that talks about how the judgment is going to be all-inclusive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, my dear friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. The words of the greatest exponent of the gospel of grace alone through faith alone. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The Bible says we all must appear before the judgment seat. You. Me. Every person. I can remember the emotion that surged through my soul when I first visited the Kremlin many years ago. Went in and saw Lenin lying there in state. One could not even cough or a guard would come down on you because he's treated with such reverence much more then than now. But I thought to myself, everything he's ever done is written down and he's coming into judgment. The Bible teaches that he's coming into judgment. Then I walked at the back of the Kremlin where Pastor Matiko and some of my friends have gone on many occasions. And there is the tomb of Stalin. Every thought that coursed through that evil mind is written down and he's going to come into judgment. I walked past the tomb of Khrushchev and I thought everything this man had done in the persecution of the saints of God in his own personal life, every aspect of his life while in the body is coming into judgment. We all must appear before the judgment seat. The good, the bad, and the ugly, even believers in Christ. The Bible says... The books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. Now the book of life does not deal with the antichrist. It does not deal with the godless atheists, the 
communists and those people. The book of life does not deal with those people. The book of life contains the names of those who have professed faith in Jesus. And so the Bible says that in the judgment, the books are opened and also the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, your name is going to come up in judgment. If you are an unbeliever, your name is in a book. But every person, believers and non-believers. And there's an interesting text I read last night in the book of Revelation. Jesus said to one of the seven churches, you don't need to look this up now, it's, I think it's Revelation 3 somewhere there. He said, if you confess me, if you believe in me, if you are faithful to me, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. Jesus said that. You think of it, Jesus said, I see you folks turning to it anyhow. Revelation chapter 3, this is a good church. Revelation 3, verse 4 and onwards. I'm glad that I have a church whose members love God and who read the Bible. Revelation chapter 3. I'm glad I don't have a church where people come along and sit like dummies and just take anything the preacher says. That's very sad. Revelation chapter 3, verse 4 and onwards. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is interesting because Jesus says, if you follow me, and if you are true to me, and if you confess my name, and if you walk with me, I will not blot out your name. That text implies the possibility of having your name blotted out. You say, some may say, but once my name is there, it can never be blotted out. Then why would Jesus say this? I'm not going to blot it out. Well... He's saying it because there is a possibility. And so in the judgment, when the books are opened and an investigation, oh, some folks say, I don't like this word investigation. Well, you can use any word you like. But the Bible says, the books were opened and they were judged every man according to their deeds. And those who are found to be clothed in Christ and those who have followed Christ will not have their names blotted out. But that text seems to me to be a clear, a clear text a clear inference that a person can have his name in the book and have it blotted out in the day of the judgment. One day, my beloved friend, this hasn't happened yet, but one day in this pre-advent judgment, the book 
is going to open to your name. The king will come in and view the guests. And he'll see those who are clothed in the wedding garment. But one day in the presence of God the Father, presided over by Jesus our Lord, with all the holy angels, your name will come up, my name will come up, as though these were the only names that had ever been entered in that book. It's appointed unto men once to die. After that, the judgment. Every court, you know, has a standard. If you go along to court, they'll say, well, the law says so-and-so. You broke the law. Isn't it interesting how people who have no belief in God will be the greatest legalists in fighting over some point of the law? People say, I, don't, I would never be a legalist. I could never be a Pharisee. But they'll argue over some little silly point of a man-made law. Every court has a law, and God's court has a standard also. He has a law. I want you to uh, turn to a text in a moment, but, you know, let's do it now. Come over here with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's no time like the present. Ecclesiastes cha chapter 12, and verse 13 and 14. These are the words of Solomon. He wrote these words after a long, long life. A life that was filled with victory and a life that was filled with defeat also. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. It's about halfway through the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil so the Bible says there is going to be a judgment and God will bring everything God will bring everything into judgment and the Bible says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God and keep his commandments the holy, unchanging, immutable, unchangeable law of God summed up in the Ten Commandments. As illustrated in the life of Jesus is the standard in the judgment. I want to read to you from a great theologian, Edward Hepenstahl, teacher, preacher, theologian, educated at Stanborough Park in England. Andrews University, University of Southern California. I want to read you what Hepenstall, one of our great theologians, said. Ours is a day of rebellion against the law of God more than at any time since the days before the flood. The devil has come down with great wrath, seeking whom he may devour. The satanic forces of worldliness, immorality, Violence, 
hatred and disobedience press in upon the mind. The pleasures of the sense, excessive attention to the trivial and the superficial, increasing indifference to the claims of God are all weapons of the devil to lead men away from God. Neglect to prepare can only lead to man's ultimate loss of eternal life. Then he quotes Jesus, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy, accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now listen to these words. They have a bite in them. Today there is a great cry for, for freedom from authority. Even many professing Christians seek freedom by an almost mocking indifference to the law of God and the clear truth of God in Scripture. Unbridled license is the prevailing mood. The peril of lowered moral living is a much greater problem than legalistic religion. From time to time, one listens to indictments classifying as legalism the church has called a strict obedience to the moral code of the Decalogue. Such statements push into the background the real moral issues of our time. The number of those who are led astray by religious legalism these days is small compared with the multitudes who are now becoming enslaved by the defilements of the flesh. So, this great preacher and theologian says, legalism, yes, has slain its, its tens, but this permissive society has slain its millions. God is righteous, God is holy, and when our names come up in the judgment, we will be judged according to the holy law of God. Did you know this? Now this is something that many superficial readers of the Bible do not understand. That in the judgment, we're not judged by our faith, we're judged according to our works. Who can see faith? You know the story where Jesus said, many will come to him in that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out devils, all of these things we've done, mighty works. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you evildoers. You did not do the will of my Father in heaven. And they're cast out. And then he says there are other people and they obey God and they build their house upon the rock and the house stands and Jesus says the difference between the two groups in the judgment is obedience. 
to the will of God. And the king came in to see the guests and he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. For many years, I've studied the question of the wedding garment. I thought, what can this really mean? Because the Bible in that passage doesn't tell you what the wedding garment is. It's obviously he's not ready for the judgment. He hasn't made the right preparation. So I thought to myself, what is this wedding garment? A man must have on this garment or else in the judgment when he's judged according to his works but saved by grace he's cast out. I've had a conflict that's gone on in my mind. What is the real truth about the wedding garment? I believe I have the answer. I believe this now for many years, but I believe it's become plainer. I want you to turn over here with me to Revelation 19 and verse 7 and 8. Revelation 19 and verse 7 and 8. My dear friends, it talks about the wedding and it talks about the wedding garment. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Ah, here's the wedding. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, look at these words. Let them sink down, and maybe you and I are going to see some things in a new light. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It doesn't say in this passage that the fine linen represents only the imputed righteousness of Jesus. It's got to include that. But it's more than that. The righteous acts of the saints. How does this fit into the doctrine of the judgment? Because when the books are opened, my friend, every person is judged according to to his acts. John Wesley was fond of saying that a person is saved meritoriously by grace. That's through the blood of Jesus. Instrumentally through faith. But then he was quick to add evidentially by works. The works of obedience demonstrate whether a person is wearing the wedding garment or not. You see, this doctrine of the true gospel is not a charade. No, it's not a put on. But it produces a character a character of loving obedience to the holy law of an almighty God. Otherwise, it's an abomination that stinks in the eyes of a righteous God. The king came in to see the guests. 
there was a person there who didn't have on the wedding garment. If the king comes in to examine you today, will he find you, my friend, wearing the wedding garment? This judgment, I must confess, is very different to an earthly judgment. Because the Bible tells me that Jesus is my advocate. You know that, don't you? Jesus is our attorney. But the Bible also tells me that Jesus is the judge. In John chapter 5, it says, listen to these words, it says, the Father judges no man. So this idea of God the Father being the judge is not taught in the Bible. The Father presides over the judgment. But the Bible says, the, Jesus said, the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And Jesus said, he's committed judgment to Jesus because he is the Son of Man. The person who is going to judge me will not be a spirit being but a person who has flesh and bones. Could you imagine if you're summoned to court and you go and get the very best attorney you can in Los Angeles? It's going to cost you, I can tell you that now. <laughs> so you go along to court, you got the best attorney, and you, you tell the attorney, you tell him something that that attorney has never heard before. You say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I had an attorney tell me, he said, I, I, I defend guilty people, all, uh, bad people all the time. He said, doesn't God do that? I said, not quite like you do. <laughs> because Jesus defends only the guilty who plead guilty. You see? So you go along to court, the attorney comes with you, the attorney puts his arm around you, the attorney says, how do you plead? You say, I'm guilty, completely guilty. Are you really sorry? Yes. This attorney then goes and looks in some books and finds out what your actions show. Then it's time for the judge to pronounce sentence. You know what happens? The attorney says, just a moment. I'll be back. He goes up, sits down in the judge's seat, puts on the black robe. If he was in Britain, he'd put on one of those funny wigs. <laughs> then I look up, and my attorney is the judge. How can you lose when your attorney is the judge. But he'll only be your judge if you come to him and confess your sins and plead that you are guilty. Listen to this. This is quite amazing. I have a case at court and court has set 
How soon my case is called, I do not know, but from the justice seat I dare not go till sentence has been passed on me. And yet although my stains of sin more deep than crimson be, I have an advocate who pleads for me. I have a case at court, and court is set. The judge supreme is in the judgment seat. With trembling low I bow before his feet, convicted by my own proud heart. And yet, though my downcast guilty eyes see not the judge's face, my advocate has never lost a case. I have a case at court, and court is set with tears. The angel reads the charges there, and to the court my counsel makes his, pr his prayer. For pardon pleads, admits my guilt, and yet the judge divine in love and mercy sets me free. My advocate has borne the curse for me. But the person who wrote that poem didn't quite understand it. The person who wrote that poem thought that God was sitting up there, God the Father. And Jesus somehow talks the Father into it. It's not so. The Bible tells us that God the Father is not our judge. Jesus is our judge. I want to ask you this today. I want to look you in the eye. I want to ask you this today. If in the presence of Almighty God your name comes up and the books are opened, what will you say? How will you be? When the king comes in and looks at you, will you have on the wedding garment, I ask you? Now I must hasten to tell every person here today that salvation is simply by grace through faith. Paul says, it is by grace you were saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When the king comes in to see the guests and the books are opened, listen to this, the works will demonstrate whether you are genuine or a phony. Are you ready for the judgment? You may say, what if my life is imperfect? I stumble, I make mistakes. Well, so did Paul. Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to look you in the eye and tell you this, in ourselves, apart from the righteousness of Jesus, none of us have got a chance in the judgment. None of us. Because we are all sinners. We are saved by what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I want to make this very plain because I think some of us do not understand this. I want you to think there's a great river. It's frozen. Up the top of the river, up near the source, there's a mighty ice dam. The water is just frozen solid there. And then spring comes and the rays of the sun kiss the ice. The ice starts to melt. It's like the Holy Spirit working on a person's heart. Spirit of God touches us, 
cold, indifferent. Then all of a sudden, the dam has burst. The river is unleashed, it's flowing to the sea. But I venture to tell you that if you go down, look in that river, even though the sea, the water is surging to the sea, there will be eddies that are going against the current. That's why it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But how can you tell the spring has come? The river is going in the right direction. I come to Christ. My life is frozen in sin. But the Spirit of God comes into my life and I am born again through the Spirit of God. The great dam has burst. And there's a new force flowing down to the sea of eternity. But if you look carefully, maybe not so carefully, you'll find that there's some mud there too. Some eddies in the judgment. The works are produced as proof that the dam has broken and that the person's direction is God would. So the king comes in and sees the guests. He sees there the man who says, Lord, Lord, look at all the good things I do. I'm, I'm this, I believe in Jesus. But Jesus looks him over and the books are opened and his thoughts and his works and not Godward, but manward. He doesn't have on the wedding garment. He's cast into outer darkness. What does the judgment teach? The judgment teaches that every one of us is accountable to God. And that God knows the heart. And God knows those who by his grace will be citizens of his kingdom. Do works matter? Yes. As a means to salvation? No. But as the fruit of salvation. And if there is no love of God's commandments, no keeping of his commandments with all the heart and all the soul, it is because the person is standing there Naked. In Sydney, there's a hospice. That's the place where people go, in Sydney at least, who have got a terminal disease. I spoke to one of the medical personnel there who was a member of my church, and we discussed the people who come into the hospice. He spoke about two large religions that shall remain non-identified today. Two very large religions. I said, for my interest's sake, how do those people die? He said, often they die screaming. But what, because of pain? No, because of fear. Some are afraid of the flame. They say, I'll never be ready for the judgment because I'm not perfect. 
and I know I'm going to burn for so long. They go out into darkness screaming. Then there's another group of people who not, do not believe in Jesus. And they say, I haven't obeyed enough. I, I, I have no love. And they go out, they said, screaming. Then they spoke about another group of people who believe in the blood atonement of Jesus, the sacrificial atonement. And these people have experienced justification. So they're forgiven. And their lives show it. Their lives show it by how they love, how they give, and how they obey. They're clothed in the wedding garment. My friend said, even though some of them are in pain because of the awfulness of their sicknesses, they go out often with their loved ones standing around holding hands, singing hymns, praising God. What a difference. The king came in to see the guests. And soon the king is going to come and visit you and me. Disappointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. The king came in to see the guests and saw there a man who had not on the wedding garment. The judgment was set and the books were opened. God have mercy on us. Amen.